during communion, how is it walking in the light? And I'd like to start with that, because how is it? And I'm not talking about a theological sense. That's perfect. Our, our redemption is fully paid. But in a practical sense, how's your walk with God today? How is it walking in the light? What word would you use to describe it? And while you're thinking about that, I'd like to read a poem by Charles Osgood in the Osgood File, 
one talent, and he explains in Matthew 25, 24, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not gathered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Pretty good. It's not really not. God is a severe judge to those who do not follow him, to those who do not obey, to those who do not submit. This man was correct. In fact, the master's answer was, you knew I was a hard man, and since I'm a hard man, why didn't you invest it? And that's the way God will be on the day of judgment to those. But what did he say to the ones who had invested and I think their attitude towards their master was different. Our attitude towards God should never be one so afraid that we dare not approach him. I've heard people say a personal relationship with God, that's the last thing I want. He's kind of a scary, uh, scary God to me. And I'm not such a good person. But if we understand the mercy of God, then we can approach the throne of grace and obtain mercy because that's the kind of father we have. And so what did the father say? What did the master say? He said to those servants, well done, good and faithful servant. He becomes our best friend. And he's a God who remembers every investment we've made in the kingdom of God. His love compels us. And God will treasure everything you ever did that brought him glory. When you suffer, suffer in a way that honors Jesus. And when you muster up enough courage to invite your neighbor to church, to explain the gospel as well as you can to somebody that doesn't understand about Christ yet, he feeds and he remembers. When you approach him because you have sinned and you beg for forgiveness, why even the heavens and angels, the angels rejoice in heaven because it's important to God. And these investments in the kingdom, so to speak, are valued by him. Why even Revelation 5.8 says that our treasure, treasured prayers are treasured in a golden censer. But the best reward of all is when he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. How can it get any better than that than to have God's approval? One thing to encourage us, one thing to motivate us, and to keep us going, to be diligent until the end, is remembering that our Father watches, He sees, He remembers the things that we have done. The second thing that we can do is to just do it. Get involved. Just step forward in faith that God is going to help you do this thing, whatever it is, whatever he puts before you. And that will make you hope sure. And it builds on itself. In verse 11 he says, We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. You know, 
I, I tell the Wadao people, because they live in canoes, that the Christian life is like canoeing against the current, canoeing upstream. If you ever stop, you start going backwards. And that's the way it is with the Christian life. It's like walking up a down escalator. Once you stop, you start going down. It's meant to be maintained, the Christian life. It's meant to be cultivated. Jesus said, concerning the secrets of the kingdom of God, to him who has, more will be given. And this applies not only to the secrets or understanding the kingdom of God, but the results of that understanding, the hope, the love, the faith that are cultivated by that understanding. And so as our hope grows, more hope is given. More is given to those who have. The more you are involved in this Christian life, the more that you see God working in your life, the more joy it gives you, the more faith you have, and the more you want to get involved. And this is making your hope sure. It's making it secure. As you see your prayers answered, you will have faith to pray more. You know, I hear a lot of Christians, they say, well, my prayers are, I'd say, usually answered, no. I think that's a shame. It makes me sad. That's not my experience. Uh, those of you that have been praying for Eric's passport, well, we got his passport back. Uh, God is, 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 the answer yes is the rule. No is the exception. There's something wrong if you get a, a no answer. And you should look into that. But God wants to give good gifts to his children. He wants to answer yes. We need to be focused in pleasing him. And when we do so, our prayers will be in accordance with his will, and he will answer them, yes. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So the more you read, the stronger your faith, the more you're going to want to read and strengthen your faith. It builds on itself. As you see people coming to Christ, as you, even, if, even if you're just sharing the gospel with somebody, and you experience God helping you come up with the words and, and you think of thoughts you never thought of before. It's exhilarating. It strengthens your faith. The Christian life was meant to be lived, and by living it, you cultivate it. A third way that this passage explains to us that we can cultivate our spiritual life is by imitating faithful Christians. In verse 12, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. The rewards are there, and we need to keep our hope strong that God will be faithful so that we'll have that motivation to continue. Do you ever wonder why others have a vibrant Christian life full of uh, adventures of faith and, and you don't? Well, imitate their faith. Be bold like they are bold. Uh, be like, for instance, Job. Now, Job was one who didn't, you know, he didn't step out and say, well, I'm going to choose to suffer today. Suffering is something that, well, it just happens. God allows it to happen in your life. It's not a calling that you submit to, necessarily. The book of Job starts with a declaration that he was the most righteous man of his day. But one day, a wave of messengers came. The first one came and said that all of your servants have been killed and your livestock have been stolen. Before
before he finished speaking. Another one came and said, your kids were partying and a storm came and the house cloud fell and no one survived. And his response was in Job 1.21, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will part. <clears throat> the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Then Job broke out in sores over his whole body. He had to use pieces of broken pottery to scratch the sores because they were so terrible. And then his wife came to him and he said, she said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Never do that to someone. When they're struggling in faith, when they're having a hard time, and, and you say, well, you know, just, just get angry. Just forget it all. Just get away for a while. No. Encourage them in their faith. And I think this may have been one of the hardest trials that Job went through. But his response was, in Job 2.10, Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Oh, but Job had a struggle. The hardest part for Job was a spiritual crisis because he said, why? Why would God? I, I don't understand God. It's like, what did I do to deserve this? I see people living horrible lives and they're not going through what I go through. What's wrong with God? That question led him into a bitter crisis. He even cursed the day that he was born, wished he had never been born. Now Jesus faced a crisis in his life. And Peter said, Jesus, you're not going to suffer like that. You're not going to go to the cross. People aren't going to crucify you. Stop thinking like that. And Jesus said, for this I came into the world. See, Jesus thought purpose. And then, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, your will be done, not mine. Because of the purpose of God in the suffering. Job didn't understand that. And we can't really fault him. This was probably the first book of the Bible ever written. He only had oral tradition to help him, and there wasn't much about Christ in that. There wasn't much about suffering unjustly, but yet there being a purpose of God in it. And so we can't really false Job, but we can get a better example of that last part from Christ. But we don't know this, that when God presented himself to Job, and he simply explained that he was creator of all there was, and he simply talked about the animals and, and how he maintains the animals, you know, it's kind of like he showed him a version of Animal Planet, and that, that's about all. But that's all it took for Job, because of his tremendous faith in God. And he realized, I can't take over for God. He's doing a good job. He, he knows what he's doing with the animal kingdom, the balance of nature, and shouldn't I trust him with my life too? He, he's, he's governing all of heaven. And, and the history of the world, he has a plan. Why should I doubt him? And so he repented, and God rewarded him. Oh, Peter blew up many times. I like Peter. He's so much like me. I step out beyond where I should step many times. One time, 
my second funeral, a um, woman told me the night before that there would be a funeral in the morning, and she said, you don't need to do anything, though. Just say a prayer with them and open up the church. I said, well, okay. And then I said, by the way, who's doing the service? Well, well you are. Oh. <laughs> oh, yes. And I stepped out in boldness, Lord help me, but uh, beyond my capabilities. Um, when the pallbearer introduced himself and, and they all introduced themselves, that was the name I remembered when I prayed. And Lord, we thank you that John uh, Smith is with you right now. <laughs> and when I went down to the seat to, while somebody sang, he nudged me and said, I'm John Smith. <laughs> yeah, it can be hard. And Peter had a lot of these, these mix-ups, these, these terrible situations, like when he tried to walk on water. A couple step, steps, and then he was wet as a fish. But Jesus pulled him up out of the water. And you know what? I'd rather be this foolish, wet person in the arms of Jesus than sitting in the boat. <laughs> they were probably laughing at him, but that's okay. I'd rather be in the arms of Jesus. I think this was a precursor to the next fall that Peter would have. Yes, he stepped out in faith a little too far. You see, he followed Jesus when he really didn't understand what was going on. He was against Jesus going to the cross. And, and yet he wanted to follow close. But then when uh, these two things converged, when, when somebody said, aren't you one of his? He didn't know what to say. He didn't understand how to be part of what Jesus was doing. And so he denied Christ and fell. But Jesus, after the resurrection, came back to Peter and he said, he found him fishing, by the way, returning back to his old trade. And he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yeah, sure, you got you. <laughs> well, take care of my sheep. Okay. Uh, Simon, Son of John, talking to you. Do you, do you really love him? <coughs> yeah, you, you know everything, you know. Simon, son of John, I'm talking to you right now. Do you love me? And Peter thought, man, why do you ask me? You know everything. You know what I just did. You know, though, that I love you. Peter, when you were a kid, you ran anywhere you wanted to go, Jesus said. I'm paraphrasing a lot here. You went wherever you wanted to, but pretty soon they're going to take you where you don't want to go. And each one of the trials before that is like a question. Do you love me? What will be your answer? And we do know that is a final question. He gave the ultimate answer once and for all. I love you, Lord. They crucified Peter, just like they crucified Christ. The very thing that he was against Jesus doing. But he's grown. And his one request was that they crucify him upside down so he not die like his Savior. And once and for all, he said, Yes, Jesus, I love you more than me. The deal of Paul. Boy, where do you start? I like just one episode of this life. I'll take it quickly. When he decided to go to Jerusalem, 
against the counsel of everyone else. Agabus took Paul's belt, tied his hands and feet, his own hands and feet, and he said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Acts 21.11 Well, wouldn't that be a sign maybe you shouldn't go to Jerusalem? <laughs> Most of us would think so. And uh, what is commonly one of the things that they say is a call to mission if you get the affirmation of other Christians? Here's what they said. The, the other people warned him not to go to Jerusalem. And they tried to dissuade him, the Bible says. But he said in Acts 21.13, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am not only ready to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was arrested right away put in prison for many years. Years which he might have otherwise been used to do mission work, maybe. Was Paul wrong? Acts 21.4 says, though the, though the Spirit, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. This is from the Holy Spirit. Urged him not to go to Jerusalem. But Acts 20.22, and now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, Paul said, not knowing what will happen to me there. Kind of confusing, isn't it? And don't we face situations like that where it's confusing? Should we go or not go? Should I be bold or not bold? Am I going beyond my capabilities? Will God be with me? Bottom line is, Paul wins. And all we know is that one night it says the Lord stood near him. Usually it's an angel. This time it just said, the Lord stood near him and said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. God remembers the good you have done. Right or wrong, God forgets the bad. You can step forward boldly and know that God will hold you up. God says, Paul, I've not forgotten your words. You indeed testified about me in Jerusalem. I will enable you to do this in Rome. In either case, whether it is the best choice or not, God will remember your servant's heart, and that will be precious to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our God. Lord, how wonderful that, that you are such a compassionate and loving God. That you paid the price to be able to forget our sins. And what a remarkable thing. And yet remember the good that we do. Not because we deserve that you remember any of them. But because we know you as a loving Father who delights in doing so. And so, Father... Give us courage. Give us boldness. Give us diligence. As we seek to not be pretty good, but Lord, to pursue excellence in 